Hey, I'm Paul Rabel. Welcome to my podcast. Arguably the greatest coach in all of sports. His accolades are endless, but he won't spend much time talking about them. Generally, he doesn't spend much time with the media outside of his obligatory press conferences. Coach Belichick ranks process, execution, and culture first. Example, the NFL gets huge ratings every year at their college draft. And every year, the Patriots pick up undrafted players, free agents, former college lacrosse players, and sometimes Popeye's employees. How does he create this winning formula? Well, his process of player selection, competitive analysis, and game day execution, I think, apply to both sports and business. Let's find out more. So you and I have, have known each other for over a decade now. And uh, I had the opportunity, because of, of your background growing up playing football and lacrosse, um, to ask Coach Petro, when you came to a practice, who was my college coach at a time, to say, like, hey, can I sit down with Coach Belichick and, and uh, ask him about what my goals were, like learning about the captains on the team, learning about the culture and like how to work hard, how to be great. And you were so gracious to like sit down and and spend that time with me. And then, you know, fast forward a few years later when I graduated, you know, I grew up in the DC area and you send me a bunch of Patriot stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget that. And I'm, and I'm one of your biggest supporters. Um, and, uh, and I've always been like, so impressed by how you think about sports and how you think about business. And even when I was sitting outside, um, this is a really busy time of the year. Every, every, I guess all seasons are really busy in the NFL, but you're, bas- you're basically like a CEO. Um, and when you think about like a coach, any coach, and, and like you're, you're, you know, managing other coaches, you're also, um, encouraging them you're helping them flourish and grow you're, you're managing players you're overseeing ops um and then you're performing on field it's one of the most you know volatile positions in terms of turnover for coaches is that a way that you look at it at all yeah it's it's a lot of leadership it's a lot of management um from all the support systems that we have i mean honestly the coaching part of it is i don't say easy but i'm pretty I've had a lot of experience at that. It's the uh, overseeing of all the departments, uh, video, training, medical, um, equipment, operations, sports science, um, et cetera. Uh, so all those things that support our football team uh, have to be organized, coordinated, and uh, their jobs have to be identified and monitored and so forth. And certainly have people in each of those areas to do it, but it has to all be tied together somehow. So yeah. Um, that's, that's definitely challenging. Um, that's not in the football coaching manual. That's, right. uh, that's come somewhere else. Um, but the, the coaching part of it really is, um, I say easy and fun. Um, not easy, easy, but you know, it comes easy Yeah, and, you know, working with assistant coaches, coordinators, uh, strength coaches, um, and then game plans and coaching and corrections and game day yeah. adjustments and all that. That's kind of the the more standard and probably what people think coaching is, but the overall organization that goes with it or alongside of it, salary cap management, uh, draft strategy, draft evaluations, and yeah. so forth. It's it gets you know it's a big business. It's thick. Yeah, oh, man. I, I mean, it's, very thick book. Yeah, I I don't, I don't know. Uh, it, it's and what's interesting too is is 
I could hardly keep track of that laundry list of items that you're going through on a daily basis. Um, I'm interested as I look at lacrosse sticks in the corner, I'm interested in, in how you're keeping track of it. And I'm sure it's systematic in a way, or at some point, or it's just like part of how, how you wake up and think about what you do, but you also keep the leanest staff in the NFL. And, and so like of all those obligations, why I'm sure over time or how have you developed a, a group of guys in terms of numbers underneath you that are, that are managing all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think, um, you know, my philosophy really is that less is more. And so I'd rather have fewer people doing more work than more people doing a little more work. Um, you know, as long as everybody's busy, as long as everybody feels productive, um, you know, they feel good about what they're doing and they feel like they're contributing. Uh, I think when people have uh, lag time and kind of not enough to do and then that leads to getting distracted or um, you know, complaining or, uh, whatever, being less productive, you know, even though you have more people, sometimes less work gets done. So, um, and I'd say from a getting everybody on the same page standpoint, which is critical, uh, the fewer people you have to manage, the easier it is to get everybody on the same page. So if you're talking to, you know, 10 people, it's hard to get all 10 people doing the same thing or doing the right thing. Um, now you make that number 20 instead of 10, it's even more difficult. And, yep. Um, if you have, uh, five people supervising another 15 people, now you've got another layer there where you're not dealing directly with everybody. And now it's, uh, you're somewhat, uh, at the, um, you know, you're dependent on other people to relay the message the way you want it done, uh, and to monitor it that way. And certainly there's a degree of that, but as much of that as I can, uh, eliminate, I, I think just works better for me. Yeah. You, uh, you were an econ major. I saw, I saw a letter that, uh, when we were doing our research, um, that, that you had exchanged with, with your professor there and how it's been helpful for you on, on the, on the salary cap side, but understanding kind of like macro and microeconomics as it relates to like macro and micromanagement. Are you, uh, I know a lot of the coaches that you're working with have, have been with you. Some of them are your sons. So there's there's tremendous amount of trust and buy into culture. Uh, do you subscribe more to like you know, more meetings? Are you like a meetings culture? Do you believe that, or or are you like, hey, I, these guys are on the same page. We're going to meet maybe a couple of times. And I know there's sometimes where I'm sure meetings go up around games and season, and then around the draft. Yeah, I I think that's um, I mean that's a great question, and I think over the course of my career, the answer to that has changed. Um, I guess my philosophy is I think if we need to meet, we meet. Um, if we need to get everybody on the same page and talk collectively about whatever the subject happens to be, then then we meet. Sometimes those meetings are long. Sometimes they're, um, you know, they can involve multiple days. Um, and there are other times where I think that once you get the information covered, then get everybody out of the meeting room and let them go do it and let's get to work. So. Uh, until everybody knows what they're doing, until everybody uh, kind of can identify where, where the target is, what the, where the finish line is located, then I think you need a meeting to make sure that, that we have that right. Yeah. Uh, and then once that's identified and everybody understands it and there's no, um, you know, it's, it's clearly defined. We might all not all agree, yeah. but it's been defined, then, then there's time to get out of there and do it. So. Uh, you're right, Paul. Some of that fluctuates depending on the time of year it is and what process we're in. But uh, whatever time of year it is, it, to me, it's kind of the same thing. You need a meeting to get organized, uh, and that meeting might last a week. 
but once you're organized, then somebody's got to go out there and do the work. With with those meetings, it is you know I like what you said there. Like meet when you need to meet, um, and I think in in business a lot of times we're 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 setting weekly meetings on certain verticals and looking at stuff like that. Just like knowing when it needs to get done, it needs to get done. Is that the way that you've built the culture around here too, or are there or there were there moments where you you explicitly describe the pillars as like this is what we this is what we stand for and I know your my guess is that your coaches are all in line but like when you're bringing in new talent is there like this cultural um, kind of study that they have to go to are you leading that to your leaders because I, I I gotta say like it's people talk about process yes and, and he and it's and it's huge here. I don't think people talk enough about culture here um, because I, it's, I think it just supersedes it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's certainly, again, that's part of getting everybody on the same page. And I'd say a big part of that is the selection process. So if you select people that um, aren't going to be able to make that adjustment to the culture, then you're really swimming upstream and it's hard to get it done. So part of the, part of getting everything in line is selecting the right people with the right values or the right work ethic uh, that can, you know, actually make it functional uh, in a productive way. But I think that's a, you know, it's a great, uh, it's a great part of the program is, is the, is the culture and the attitude, the mindset. We're very short term and very short sighted. So uh, really our game plan is what's good for today. What do we need to do today? Uh, Let's identify our goals. Um, How are we going to you know, structure our practice or our day or our time. Uh, and then, you know, what do we accomplish? And then based on that, what do we need to do tomorrow? Um, are we ahead of schedule or behind schedule? Um, and if we need to go back and pick up something up because it wasn't completed or fin- pro- finished properly or whatever the case is, we need to do that. If we're on schedule or maybe a little ahead, then, then we can accelerate the process the next day. So, um, you know, each each day really for us is is an independent you know goal. And uh, if we're better today than we were yesterday, uh, and we've accomplished what we need to do, then we're on track. If we didn't, then uh, until we get those things done, then there's no point in trying to you know go to a place we're not ready to go to. So, um, and, that, and that includes everybody. That's coaches. That's players. That's support staff. Um, be prepared. So get a good night's rest. Know what the next day is going to bring. Uh, if you have to study for it or do some kind of preparation for it, uh, do it. If you're an athlete, then that means, uh, again, getting a good night's sleep, getting your recovery, uh, eating right, sleeping right, nutrition, and so forth. Um, if you're a coach, it's uh, as much of that as possible, but it's having the material prepared for the players, uh, the film, the meeting structure, the game plan, whatever it is. Uh, and then, you know, come in. Uh, know what you're supposed to do. Pay attention to the details and the little things that make a difference. Work hard. Uh, and at some point, you know, you're going to have to make a decision between what you want to do and what the team needs you to do. And we always expect that we'll all put the team first. Yeah. So it's a pretty simple game plan, and it's the same thing, whether it's Sunday game day or whether it's uh, Wednesday practice day or whether it's Tuesday in March on an off-season day. Uh, those same principles are the ones that we live by on a daily basis. When you talk about work ethic, like even put football aside and and sports aside, you hear that so often, like being the hardest worker in the room. And a lot of it's lip service and a lot of it can't be quantified. Is is there a way that like over time and seeing so much talent 
come in and out from a management side to on field, you're able to like develop this sixth sense on what work ethic actually, like how can you actually define it or is it just gut? Well, well, I think the re- it, it comes in the results. So for me, it's really two things. One is, again, paying attention to details, being coachable, um, understanding the material that you're being given, and then working at it. So my experience has been uh, any athlete or uh, coach or business person, but let's just take an athlete, any athlete that pays attention to the material. They listen to the coaching. They listen to the coaching points. They understand what they need to do to get better. Then if they then go and work hard, they'll improve. Yeah. Um, if they don't listen to the coaching and they just go out and work, but uh, they're going to do it their way, they're going to do it, you know, in a way that's it's work, but it's not productive work. Hmm. Then the improvement is pretty marginal. And the person that sits there and understands this is all the things I need to do, but then they don't actively work hard to improve them isn't going to improve either. So my experience has been, regardless of the person's talent level, if they are attentive and listen and then work hard, then you're going to see improvement. Now, some people will improve at different rates, but there'll be consistent improvement if those two things are in place. So you can probably, that that's really interesting. So you can probably figure out then, people are thinking work ethic, and, and they're probably thinking in sports, you know, how, how much time is this guy training? How much is he sleeping? You know, what's the team around him doing? And and you can probably figure out you can figure out your metric on work ethic sitting in a room whether this guy is like listening, and, and actually processing what you're saying in an interview or even the questions that you're asking because that's that from what it sounds like that's more important than even the output is understanding first. Yes, sir. Yeah, because huh. right. What's the point in and uh, you know going and working hard? It's something that's. And uh, it's our job to it's our job as coaches or whatever part of the organization we're in to provide the right instruction and the right methods. And yeah. so, if we send the guy down the wrong road, then even though he works hard and improves, it's not going to turn out right. So, we've got to give the players a chance. We've got to give the team a chance by by having a good cha- game plan, by coaching good techniques, by setting up drills that will allow the player to improve. Hmm. But assuming that he understands what he needs to do and puts in the quality work to improve it, then, you know, we'll see a difference. And yeah. the guys that we don't see a difference in either, number one, don't understand or don't want to understand because they just want to do it their way, or they understand, but they're really not willing to work hard enough to change it. And so therefore it never really changes. It, yeah. it you know, it's, it's kind of lip service, but there's no real change. Um, and those players get bypassed by the ones that, do the other yeah. regardless of what the talent is at this level uh there are different levels of great talent but eventually the talent's relatively competitive enough where a player who improves will eventually pass and that won't take that long will yeah. eventually pass a player that has a little more talent who's not improving yeah so that's and then there's a layer of being driven i think you and i have talked about that i think there's two things that have always stuck with me that i've gleaned from you is like you're never going to look at any pro league and see all of the first team all Americans from college dominating in college, not even cl- or in pro, not even close. Uh, you see a lot of guys come out of come out of nowhere, frankly, because the, the the margin, as you said, in talent is 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 much thinner at the pro level, and then it becomes like comes down to 
how this athlete is thinking about how they're applying, how driven they are and playing the long game. I think it's, it's crazy. I mentioned your insight as, as we, we were talking about early commits in lacrosse and a seventh grader just committed. He hasn't even played in eighth grade. And, right. and like, you, you, there's so much, there, there are so much tire treads being burned now from youth to high school to college. And then just to get a pro contract and people forget that once you get the pro contract, you're just starting Right. right now, you're going to play hopefully 15 years, which is the same amount of time that you've already burnt all this fuel. Are you seeing guys in like sports in general that are just like they just don't have any tread left on their tire because they're just they're clanging and banging too much as a young kid, and they don't realize that like now you're just getting started once you get to the pros, right? I think there is some of that, and certainly physically, sometimes guys get worn down at different points. That um, might be college, it might be early in their pro career, or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Um, but I think there's also, um, uh, you know, a level of maturity uh, that what a 13 year old, uh, seventh grader, or whatever it is, what he thinks is work and what he thinks is dedication, uh, and what an 18 year old thinks right. and what a 25 year old thinks. It's a little bit of a sliding scale, and um, so we've all been through those, and uh, certainly there were points in my life when I thought I was working hard, and then I look back and uh, realized I didn't know what hard work was. Yeah. Uh, I thought I did, but I really didn't. So some of that's just a learning curve and, and growing, and um, I think that's part of maturing as a, as a person as well as an athlete. Yeah. And I'd say, and, and you know, Paul, you know, your body, uh, you're able to do more at, let's call it 22 than you were at 15. You yeah. Know, even though you might've worked as hard hypothetically, but you're just, just much better and you're able to sustain more and to produce more. Yeah. And then I would say I was able to probably do the, the most when I was 25 and 26 athletically. And then now when I'm 31, I, I think I'm able to actually do more than 25 because I understand the game better. Yes. And so areas that I was really poor in was being off ball, was cutting off ball. And, you know, now playing with new guys in New York, I, I you know, great feeders. I figure out how to cut for the first time. And then you're also, you know, you, you can't move and you can't take the hits like you used to. So, you, you know, you, your career elongates in a way. The second thing that, that I always, uh, you know, took away from, from one of our dinners at least was that you can have, you can be in, have an incredible IQ and even EQ, but you don't have a football knack. Um, and there's the same thing in, in, in business, right? You can have a knack for business and what you're doing. Um, IQ doesn't necessarily test to football smarts. And so is that something that, is just like reveals itself on field to you? Or are you able to figure that out earlier? Yeah. Well, again, I think for players that get to this level, they have to have a certain element of um, decision-making and instinctiveness besides physical ability to, to be successful, to get to this level. But certainly it separates as you go up. And um, it's a very interesting, uh, it, you know, it's, Certainly not an easy thing to identify. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can see great when you can see maybe very poor, but there's a lot of gray in the middle, and and uh, that's like a big part of it. Some of the some of the Ivy League football players, by nature, and it could be stereotyped that come to the NFL, you think like, oh, this is going to be one of the smartest football players, and it actually might be the opposite. Yeah, right? and and it's funny because when I grew up, and you know, my dad coached the Naval Academy. Um, that was a little bit of a frustration for him as uh, I can remember him talking about how 
you know, these guys come in and get 1500 on their college boards and they're, you know, the, some of the smartest young people in our country and, you know, blow coverage, uh, yeah. you know, on when a guy goes in motion and that kind of thing. So um, it doesn't always translate, you know, a, a mechanical engineer or an aeronautical engineer may not have the same, um, you know, football instinctiveness that uh, I've had guys that had trouble reading and writing and they just weren't, you know, very literate or very well educated, but they knew how to play football and they could see what the other 21 guys on the field were doing uh, all at once because they just were able to process that. And guys that had, you know, 1,500 on the college boards had trouble seeing what two people were doing, like yeah. maybe the two guys in front of them. Um, so it's it's just, you know, we all have different aptitudes. We all have different th- ways to process information. and um, But it's interesting, um, you know, testing and IQ and uh, some of those measurements don't necessarily correlate to, you know, athletic uh, decision-making yeah. and, and intelligence. I think we see that too, even, even in business. They say the only time you use your resume is like your entry-level job to like giving that to your employer. Then beyond that, once you start sinking your teeth in and you start moving around creatively and understanding business, you can go in a number of different directions. And so much that a lot of people are questioning some of the, our planet's greatest entrepreneurs are questioning the educational system and the way that we're like bringing people up through specific verticals and telling them right and wrong versus think through and ask questions. Um, one of the guys that, that you told me it was one of the, the bright spots of your career, arguably one of the best players to have ever played was Lawrence Taylor, and he had a knack for making big plays. Among many of the kind of the mentors that I want to hear about and, and the network that you've established, like what is that coaching experience like with someone who uh, just knows how to play? Yeah, it's, um, you know, a play like uh, Lawrence is, was such a special athlete, but a really special player because of his awareness and instinctiveness. And um, I had... Uh, work with players that had some of that, but not to the level that uh, that Taylor did. Um, Taylor had the ability to, you know, when he stood on the end of the line of scrimmage, which is where he played as an outside linebacker, defensive end, he could just tell by – it didn't matter, um, you know, who the person was or what the play was or anything else. He could just tell by the, the look – of the opponent on the other side of the line of scrimmage who was going to block him. And that was by how scared they were. Yeah. So when the tackle would line up and was just, you know, kind of in a normal stance, uh, LT knew he wasn't being blocked by that guy. Right. That it was somebody else's job. Yeah. But when that tackle was looking at him like, you know, if I'm one split second late out of my stance, if I am one, you know, a few inches off on my angle or step – this guy's going to be by me. They'd have that scared to death look. And Taylor could just tell by looking at the guy, whether the guy was blocking him or not. And the same thing with the quarterback. When the quarterback when it was a running play and a quarterback come up to the line, look around, snap the ball. Taylor knew it was a run or would anticipate that it was a run because the quarterback didn't care about him. It was somebody else's problem. But if it was a pass play and that guy looked and the quarterback looked out at Taylor and is he rushing? Is he not rushing? Do I have him picked up? Before the ball was even snapped, he could just tell by the terror that he felt, you know, from that individual, the look in the guy's eye or how kind of nervous he was uh, from play to play, you know, run pass, uh, which guy's blocking me, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And um, 
he would oftentimes come off and tell me that, like after the first or second series, he said, uh, you know, say, oh, I, I, I can read this on every play. It's yeah. easy, you know, <laughs> because the tackle, you know, if he had him in pass protection, was scared to death and would yeah. be in a real light stance and have all his weight back. Yeah. And and it was different when they played Taylor compared to maybe what we'd seen on film playing some other guys. Yeah. Um, and Taylor also had the ability to see what everybody was doing from where he was. So as he would look inside and see, you know, the defensive players on his side of the line, the offensive linemen to the backs, to the quarterback, uh, you know, he, he could see more than just a guy in front of him. Huh. And, you know, when the play – before, again, before the play would even uh, – you know, we'd come off the field and and say, well, you know, what, what happened on that protection? How are they doing it? And – it might look to us like on the you know from the coaches or from a coaching uh, picture that well they're blocking it this way, and Taylor will come off and say no they're not doing that that guy's got him and this guy's got me and this other guy's looking for me too so they're really getting ready to double team me yeah. I can see this other guy looking and you know as a coach you can't see that but as a as an athlete there on the field he could see it and then sure enough eventually you would see a couple plays where that would bear that you know information yeah. would you know would actually play itself out and you could see he was exactly right. Um, he had a great sense of that. And those aren't things that come in a scouting report that comes on game day when you walk out on the field and you just feel, you know, the kind of the presence of your opponent. When you, when you have someone like Lawrence Taylor, um, do, did you create your defense in New York around him or did you create the defense around the other personnel that you had and just like leverage the shit out of Lawrence Taylor, like Lawrence Taylor, is going to go out and do his thing. You know what I mean? There's a, it's, it's like a, I feel like it's a slight difference, but uh, sometimes we can, and there can be, and that could lead to a win or a loss or a successful team and an unsuccessful team. Like how, how do you do that? And I know you, you look at each team every year, even here in new England and are like creating is creating your infrastructure around that specific talent. Right. Well, one of the things about having a player like Taylor, um, and, you know, clearly he was the best defensive player I've ever coached by, you know, a good margin. But, um, we, you know, we had a basic defensive system that, you know, everybody played in, whether it was and, – and he played in it. He played a role in it. Uh, but from game to game and from uh, situation to situation, there were certainly ways that we could uh, try to highlight him into it. But I would say in his particular case, when you have a player on the end of the line – if you don't have another good player on the other side of the line, there's a lot of things you're not going to be able to do. So uh, when they were running away from Taylor into Banks, um, you know that was not quite as big of a problem, but it was still a problem. Where if if Banks wasn't over there, if it had been a you know more of a marginal player, then there were a lot of things that would have made it a lot tougher for Taylor. And there were actually some things that Carl Banks did better than LT, which in a way they complemented each other. Um, and so, but when you have an end of the line player like that, um, you need to have another one on the other side yep. in order to balance it. Whereas if you have a great player in the middle, then, you know, he's a great player in the middle and, and, you know, wherever they go, he has a chance to get there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when you're, if you can only rush from one side, well, then the offense can, you know, run away from that or protect to that side and so forth. It's so, beatable in football, right? Like it's, it's yeah, what you, you look at too, right? You look at taking out the, the, the strengths. Right. Yeah, that, definitely. I don't want to get beat by what our opponent does best. I don't want to come off the field after the game and say, well, they, 
they did what they do and you know we didn't really try to stop it and they beat us with it and i want to try to stop it and make them beat us with something that we think they don't do as well and do you think you think that is is one of those overused uh, thought processes and strategy for, for, for coaches and sports in general is like, let's eliminate the knowns. I, I, I grew up in that system and I, and we absolutely committed to it. And we went to three national championships when I was at Hopkins under coach Petro. And I know you, you guys focus on that too, in like identifying the knowns and taking out the strengths. Um, yeah. I think it's a lot easier said than done. I think you have to have a system that, you can do that without too much stress. So if every week we have to put in a new defense to uh, take care of a problem, that's a lot of uh, learning, a lot of installation, a lot of Mm. adjustments, a lot of things that can happen. Uh, Yeah, you set this defense for whatever it is, but then when something happens a little bit different and your team doesn't have experience with it, it's hard to execute. So I think you have to have a system that's flexible enough to handle you know, those various problems that you're going to have to handle uh, so that when they come up, then, you know, there's not a panic on your team of, well, we talked about doing it this way, but then out in the game, they did something a little bit different. Now, how do we handle it? Yeah. Uh, so, um, and, the, and the other thing, I think it's important going back to the, what we were talking about a little bit earlier, you know, whether it be in business or in football, as you know, as an athlete is timing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can be fast, but, um, making the cut at the right time is a little more important than being fast or, yeah. um, you know, running the route on the right timing is a little more important than being whatever at all. So look, yeah. the the bigger and faster and quicker and all that, the better, but uh, timing, whether it be in sports or in business, uh, the right decision can be the wrong one if the timing is bad. So hmm. a lot of that's instinctive. A lot of that is uh, gained through experience, yeah. but uh, timing is an important part of all critical decisions. Do you think that's why, uh, traditionally at least, and, and part of it is off the back of all the AFC titles that you guys own and and the, and the Super Bowls that you've won, but like not usually at, at, on the front side of the draft, right? And 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 like those are probably like the, the first picks are usually occupying like the, the the biggest and baddest athletes according to the analysts. And and would you weigh like? you weigh timing and understanding more? And then obviously if you can get both, you can get both, but you know, kind of from talent acquisition standpoint, how do you look at, you know, look at that as a CEO and, and where to fit? Yeah. I think you just have to put it all together. Um, you know, each one of us has our own individual characteristics, whether that's uh, vertical jump, intelligence, work ethic, um, flexibility. Yeah. Uh, but you just got to put it all together and it's just one mosaic. And then we try to put a value on that. So, and are you filling current needs or are you just trying to get the best available? Well, let's put the value on it first. Yeah. And then if we have uh, multiple players with the, you know, the same value, then, then maybe you take a guy on need. But before we get to that, uh, so we have – a consistency, then we we put a value on each player. Look, that player may go to another team, and then two or three years later, that player may you know become in part of the conversation huh. uh, and become yeah. available. And then, well, what do we think of that player? Well, we don't want to grade him based on what our need was. We want to grade him based on what his what we think his performance level was, Got and it. we keep that current so that when those guys come up, we have a what we feel like a true evaluation of the player, not yeah. an evaluation of what our needs are. Um, but huh. I would say the, um, the, you know, again, each one of us has a composite of all those physical characteristics, intangibles, 
um, injuries, whatever it happens to be. And at some point we have to say, okay, this is the value we place on that. And the next player may have a totally different set of circumstances, but the value may be the same. So you just have to uh, identify if it comes down to two or three of the same, which flavor do you like? They're all good. Uh, What do you need? Or which one would fit better for you? Uh, And another team may be sitting there and looking at the same guys and feel like in their culture or their situation, they prefer a different one. So, you know, that's part of it too. I think that for, for at least one of the assumptions that I've that I've always put on you, and at least relates to football, is how cerebral you are and how how well you understand it, how well you think about it. And my my guess is that part of it is 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 that you grew up watching film, and you mentioned your dad, and and you've it's been a big part of what you do now as an organization. But how you cut your teeth, what, what's the role of? Or do you think the, the mentors? Those like your father and and other coaches that you had played under, um, and then even broader your your extended network beyond the sport. How does that play in in your own like personal growth? Because it's it, it's just so evident from my perspective that you're intellectually curious and always want to improve and are pulling from different industries fairly regularly. Yeah, well, uh, you know, as as you know, uh, Paul, when you're growing up, you you're not maybe as aware of your surroundings as you are when you reflect back, um, you know, a decade or two later. So, yeah. you know, when you're a kid, you're a kid, and you just you know you do what you do. But then you look back and say, "Well, I learned a lot doing this," or "I that was a great experience for me." Maybe better than what you realized at the time. So, uh, at the time, I didn't realize it, but looking back on it, it was a tremendous experience. I was exposed to. Um, you know, great discipline and great programs at the Naval Academy, um, and a lot of co- a lot of great coaches uh, with different philosophies and different ways of doing things. But that that's part of it too, is that there's multiple ways to be successful. It's not just uh, one thing. So uh, you know, those were all uh, part of my. And then in my um, you know playing career as an athlete, I played under different types of coaches and you know some things work for some guys some things didn't work but I think in the end what I learned was you know you have to be yourself you have to have, develop your own style uh, you can learn from other people but in the end you have to be able to uh, be comfortable in your own skin doing that and if yeah. that's really not your style and you're trying to be somebody else that usually doesn't go very far um, but if you're comfortable with it and you believe in it and you know you can uh, be a leader with that type of style then uh, it can work and so that was th- those were all valuable experiences uh, to reflect back on uh, because as I think of the many different uh, coaches that I I watched they were, they were different but in the end what worked for them worked for them and, and I'd say the other thing in coaching and it's probably true in business too is uh, you know, you can only do uh, what you can do. And this might be mm. a great idea and this might uh, work for somebody else and it might be a great play, but if you can't execute it, then it's not a good one. And yep. so, uh, and that's some of the conversations, many conversations I've had with Coach Petromala. Yep. Uh, even though we're in different sports, um, it's good if you can do it. If you can do it, you know, then great, it'll work. If you can't do it, then you probably need to retreat a little bit to what you can do and what you can do well and what you're confident in. And that's a fine line, as you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's a fine line for a player, too. What shot are you comfortable with and what shot are you not comfortable with? And there's a, you know, a little 
there's a gray area there at some point, and then eventually you're comfortable with a lot of different shots. But you know, as you're going through that process, you figure out uh, what what works, what's what you what you can do, and then uh, think knowing what you can't do sometimes is just as important as knowing what you can do. Do you think that that having or experiencing some type of like measurable failure is critical to real growth? And I'll and I'll give my example that I've felt my career and even my perspective on life change change when, you know, you're, I was young running, I was, I was learning, had great mentors, improving, felt like I was disciplined. Um, was 20, that's all I was 27 or 28. We lost my second round of being in the world championships to Canada, uh, which many say was the biggest upset in, in international games history. And then two games later, that was during a break of our MLL season, I broke my foot. So I felt like my back was against the wall and I started really thinking about different things I saw. And uh, do you buy into that? Because it's, it's often asked, we hear in, in interviews, talk about failure. And, and many people haven't gone through it. So it's one of those things like, you don't want to force it on someone, but. Yeah, well, I know I remember the losses more than, than the wins. Yeah. Um, and the plays that uh, you'd like to have back that might have gotten you another championship or. Um, so it's, uh, those stick with you. I don't know if you ever, um, I don't know if you ever really get rid of them. Um, and so they probably are, you know, somewhat of a driving force because you just don't want that feeling again. You just don't want to let your team or teammates down and you want to be a little more prepared the next time so that you don't suffer that disappointment of being close, but not being able to, to be a champion because of something that just wasn't quite good enough against another good competitor. How when you remember that kind of stuff, how are you able to? Because I, I know in sports and the time that I've spent on the psychology side, uh, being able to 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 be present and play in those moments. You and I have talked about that so often. We think about I miss that pass or I turn the ball over there, and you're trying to get that play back, or you're looking, you know, to the future, the fourth quarter, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, correct the mistake, learn from it, and move on. Um, you're just and, an expert and, at letting go at this point. You're just like, boom, I mean, we move on. We, well, you have to, you know, because <laughs> we're all going to make them. Uh, you know, we're all going to get knocked down in athletics. That's part of it. Yeah. Um, you got to get back up and you get back in the ring and, you know, resume the fight. And that's um, and same thing in business. But yeah. it's, you know, that getting knocked down is, is part of athletics. Uh, and you just got to, you got to, you got to respond to that adversity or that setback. And, um, We've all had a lot of them, but yeah. you, you got to, you know, you got to learn from it. Like what knocked you down? Uh, how did you get hit by that punch? What could you have done to protect yourself a little bit better maybe? And yeah. then get up and, and get back in it. Yeah. Earlier you, you had mentioned how important it is for your players to be sleeping and eating well and stuff. You don't have time to sleep. Do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> I have to, you know, once yeah. I get to the point in the day where I just feel I'm not being productive, then I need to, I need to, you know, get get to a, the point the next day where I am, where I can have yeah. a good day. And so, do you have those certain boundaries that you set every day? That like I have to get, I have to do this every day to be mindful and be effective. Or, uh, or you yeah, s- I think in in general terms, yeah. You know, you know again, um, in our world, every day is a little bit different. You know, so Monday is different than a Tuesday. Tuesday is different than a Wednesday. But within each of those days, kind of like you know, on this day, here's how I can right. maximize my productivity. On this day, on this day, on a different day, here's yeah. how I do it, and so forth. But th- they're not all the same. Yeah, and I know you're not getting 
um, inspiration from social media, as no. you and I talk about. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> but are you? Uh, do you read a lot of books? Do you do you try and uh, where, where are you gathering a lot of um, a lot of your creativity or a lot of you know, some inspiration from? inside of the sport or sometimes out or is that done through your network and your relationships yeah i think that's a big part of it um although i you know i certainly you know do read and some of it's current some of it's historical um but you know like i would say guy, people like, yeah sure yeah. yeah or you know whatever a you know a motivational or a um you know, an interesting story that just mm-hmm. you know somebody um i don't go through the you know the new york times bestseller list you know right. weekly but you know if somebody that i respect tells me you know it's a great book here's what you know i've read it i mean i'll you know certainly put it on the list there um but yeah i'd say a lot of it is for from you know people like yourself coach petromala uh, the coaches that i work with other associates uh and so forth he bounce ideas all you bet it's you know it's all be right at the top of that list um (laughs) that you you know they give you ideas they give you thoughts it might be football related or it might not be but um yeah absolutely i'd say the networking is probably a big part of it yeah yeah that's great and then as part of a lot of that um, growth that you've extracted from what you've done in football, the platform that you built, the message that you send out in multiple geographies, you've started the Bill Belichick Foundation. Is that something that uh, you feel like will will be a part of you know, how people will remember you and the impact that, that you're and your foundation is having on the greater youth athlete and football and lacrosse? through funding, through equipment donations, through messaging, education, leadership? Um, You know, I I think it'll make a difference to the people that it can make a difference to. Uh, That's not everybody. Um, You know, we fund the things that we can fund, the programs or the individual scholarships. And I think it makes a difference to those people. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if it can change the world. Um, I don't think that's... I don't think changing people's worlds, but but those individual people could Mm -hmm. definitely, and you know, we've all had that happen for us. People give us, whether it be a scholarship or a boost or an opportunity that we might not have otherwise had, uh, has made a difference. So that's that's really the the goal of the foundation is to to give opportunities through football across academic scholarships um, to uh, people that might not otherwise have that opportunity. Yeah. And that's probably an area that that I sensed at least that that you carved out because it was something that you owned and you were passionate about. But my guess is that you're also being pulled in so many different directions regularly and like having to you know, manage your time, manage your energy outside of what your core focus on, which is continuing to to improve the New England Patriots. Um, do you have anything set up uh, like personally where you're like? I'm not answering these emails. I'm not responding to these text messages. Is that like, or or like, how are you kind of coalescing everything that's coming through on a regular basis? Yeah, probably not as efficiently as, as I would like to, but yeah, that's, that's really it. I think, um, you know, we have a kind of a saying around here, um, around mid season or so that once we can kind of see the, the push come in for the second half or the last third of the season, um, we'd say it's time to start putting stuff in the drawer. So um, if it doesn't affect, um, you know, the winning and losing of this game, let's put it in the drawer. Let's deal with it after the season. I mean, there are family things and so forth that are yeah. above that, of course. But 
let's put this in the drawer and just concentrate on the season. And then you get to the end of the season. And um, in my case, instead of opening up the drawer, it's um, three drawers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you just start, you know, pushing your way through there and trying to get caught up on things that you've let go. But, you know, in order to accomplish our goals during the season, uh, I think that's a sacrifice that um, collectively our team, coaches, staff, you know, make that um, we know these games are um, the toughest because the competition is the highest, they're the most important, and let's put everything else aside and concentrate on that. So now we're in the catch-up mode, uh, which isn't easy when you have the draft and free agency yeah. and spring OTA workouts and so forth, but you just do the best you can. Well, I mean, people say in New York, the trading floor is busy on Wall Street. I appreciate you allowing us to pull this out of the drawer today because <laughs> I was outside waiting, and I know it's the off season, but man, people are moving around quick, and, and you know, you have free agency now that's available, and draft coming up, and it just seems like uh, you guys have a really efficient shop. Obviously, we talked about it, it's really lean in terms of the the personnel and the culture that you've built, but. Super impressive. I can just kind of be a fly on a wall pretty regularly. So I appreciate you letting me do yeah, that. Yeah, well, it's, you're right, Paul. It's an exciting time of year. And, of course, the um, what you do now with your football team in March and April has a lot to do with what happens in, in November and, and December. So, um, you know, when you take these days off, there's there's a price to pay uh, sometime down the road um, in terms of where your team is. So uh, it's an important time for us, but it's exciting. It's always exciting to put together the the new team with new draft choices and uh, free agents, and and um, you know the competition out there is is tough. So um, you know each little thing that you do could end up being very important in the in a very competitive environment like we're in. So yeah. thank you for the opportunity yeah. to be with you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. It's, of course, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad we could uh, bring this conversation to life and. Now we'll shut the podcast down and talk about our foundations across <laughs> Final Four. That sounds good. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, you got it. I'd like to thank my dear friend and sports mentor, Coach Belichick, for joining us on this first edition of Suiting Up with Paul Rabel. Also, make sure to subscribe to Suiting Up with Paul Rabel for more guests. And you can do that on either Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. I'll catch you next time.